Hi, this is Patrick Rivera, the Director of the Office for Young Adult Ministries here in the Diocese of San Diego. This podcast is brought to you from one of our Theology on Tap recordings. Our Theology on Taps are just one part of the many various events and gatherings we sponsor here in the diocese throughout the year. If you're new to San Diego or would like to hear more about our gatherings and the ways in which we actively engage in ministry, please stay tuned till the end of the podcast for more information from our Associate Director, Pamela Poe. In the meantime, I want to wish you a wonderful day and may God bless you always. So who, who was here last week? Raise your hand if you were here last week. A few of you guys, some of you guys don't know, which is kind of weird, but all right, so some of you guys are here. Who was here the first week? A lot, okay, great. Thank you so much for coming out, continuing on um, with our Theology on Tap, Truth, Beauty, Goodness series. So last week, if you heard, I talked a little bit about how I first met Luke Carey. Anyone remember where I met Luke Carey? Conference, Florida. Wow, you guys are specific. So it was at the, this USCCB convocation, right? And I talked about how Luke called a lot of us there heretics. He actually called us Pelagius, which is a type of heresy, Pelagianism. It's a lot. If you weren't here, sorry, you should have come, okay? Uh, but those of you that were here, you heard it. And I, and I actually really enjoyed what Luke had to say about us. But carrying on, I also met for the first time at this conference, this convocation is what they called it, our speaker, Christina Barba. And I, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I met her. Every night after all these busy meetings and all these crazy little panels and things we would hear from the different people that were experts on everything, we would all somehow find our way back to the watering hole, the hotel sort of bar environment. And we'd hang out there until pretty late in the evening and talk. And I just remember one of my friends who's also in ministry, Colin, he has essentially my job in New York. We're sitting there talking and all of a sudden this person walks in. I don't even see... Christina, but I just hear Colin be like, see Bob, see Bob. I was like, see Bob. I, I thought I was gonna turn around and see like a guy. And in walks in Christina Barber, this like smaller, petite, you know, young adult woman. And she comes in and she just had this sense of joy and this type of uh, wonderful presence among all of us that were in the room. And the best part is as we talked and I got to hear more about the Culture Project International and the things in which she's doing with CP, as I talked and heard from her, we then both realized that we actually had a breakfast meeting and the Diocese of San Diego was going to try and work the next morning at like 7 a.m. It was, it was way too early for us like 2 a.m. drinkers or, or social, socializers. And we realized that we had to be up in like five hours to, and I was gonna hear the whole same spiel again from her in front of six or seven diocesan directors. I share that story because there's a certain beauty and a lived Christian reality, right? As I said last week, the Christian faith is not something to be studied. It needs to be lived. And what I enjoyed about Christina was the same characters or characteristics about her and her personality that were present that night hanging out with other young adults where we could speak more candidly about the challenges we have living in a culture that is not quite Catholic or Christian. That same person was present in front of diocesan directors in a professional setting and sharing the best parts of herself with the same joy and the same charisma that she had with colleagues and friends. And that's a rarity in a world where we live behind masks and a world where we try to be something we're not. And we forget that what we are always is children, sons and daughters of Christ the Father. 
And so without further ado, I wanna invite Christina up here to share how her daughtership, her wonderful faith in Christ the Father has brought her to where she is today with The Culture Project. Christina Barber. See Bob. Um, I'm not gonna lie, Patrick made me incredibly nervous there for a few moments. I had no idea what this introduction was gonna be like, and I was not exactly sure what his first memory of me was like. So uh, you had me on the edge of my seat there, Patrick. Thank you. Um, hope I live up to that fabulous introduction. It is great to be here with all of you this evening on these gorgeous grounds next to this or a part of this fabulous mission. I have to say, St. Junipero Serra has been stalking me for like the last nine months or so. I'm not exactly sure what he's trying to say, but um, when I, you know, Patrick had asked me to speak at a theology on tap, I assumed this was gonna be in like some kind of a dark dingy bar situation. And I'm not really detail oriented, so I didn't pay attention remotely to where I was going. I just knew I had the address and, and uh, only today did I stumble upon this one, actually like looking at the map and seeing where I was going. It was like, oh, it's a church. And then I was kind of like, church, how's that gonna work? It is the first mission that Sarah established in this country, in the state, in the state, I guess, state. Anyway, um, anyways, that kind of blew me away. It was like really, really cool. And uh, for this Philly girl, I gotta say, had a little East Coast snobbery, but um, how can anyone not love California? It is gorgeous here. I think I need to move here like ASAP. I don't exactly know how to make that happen, but um, yeah, I mean, and SoCal in particular is pretty fantastic. Um, anyway, it's gorgeous, gorgeous. You guys are all so lucky to live here. Um, but anyway, I'm kind of excited. I'm not exactly sure what uh, St. Sarah has in store for me. I gotta kind of figure this out because he's clearly stalking. Um, maybe he's calling me to California. I don't know. But um, it's, it's kind of interesting. So I'm um, trying to sort all of that out. But i um, really honored to be here with all of you this evening. And I know this is the Truth, Goodness, Beauty series. And I'm at the end. Thanks, Patrick, for scheduling me at the end. Now you've had two great sessions and it's a lot to live up to, but I will try. Um, and as if I understand correctly, the first week you all focused a little bit more on beauty. Last week, a little more on goodness. And apparently I'm speaking about truth tonight. So um, I think that's the case. But um, it sounds like the evenings that you all have had have been really beautiful, great conversation, great, you know, great presentations, but also great stimulus for awesome conversations afterwards. And uh, excited to delve into this a little bit more. So if you can't tell, I'm a little bit of a chatter. So I'm gonna pay attention, try to pay attention to the time. Because um, I think in these settings, really the, the best events like this definitely have time for Q&A, for us to actually kind of dialogue a little bit more. Um, and that way we can talk about what you all actually want to talk about. Um, yeah. So when I was first asked to speak about truth, initially I was like, huh, that's kind of interesting. And then I thought about it a little more. I've basically been a truth speaker like my whole life. So kind of works. Um, I heard someone say, someone way like smarter than I, that of the transcendentals, you know, there's truth, goodness, beauty, that each person 
typically has like like one of those that's like a particular charism or like it resonates with you a little bit more or that's like your starting point. Um, I do think that's true that like, you know, there's usually one of those that just naturally resonates with us a little more. While I think that's true, at the same time, they kind of are grouped together for a reason because they sort of need each other to like really, um, I guess, convey what the Lord wants us to convey or to be an expression of, of I don't know, the Lord's presence on this earth. So um, anyway, so I just want to put that caveat there. I think that together, there's a reason why they're grouped together. And um, while truth of those is the most natural to me, is like my starting point, I've learned a lot over the years about the importance of beauty and of goodness. And I actually think I have a better understanding of truth and am more effective even in communicating truth precisely because of that better appreciation and understanding for beauty and for goodness. So I'll get into truth a little bit more at the end and share a little bit more of just myself and my story with that. But um, wanted to actually start in the most unnatural place for myself, beauty. So just a few thoughts I wanna share about beauty and goodness and then I'll move into truth. Beauty, hmm. okay, so I'm one of those people that's like, you're moving into a new office, right? You get office space and I, I have a desk and a chair and I'm like, great, good, I can get to work. Like, I got my space. Totally don't stop to like decorate, make sure it looks good, make sure the lighting's good. I'm just like, I got a space, it's functional, this is all I need. Never forget um, the first time moving into a new office with some colleagues uh, years ago uh, at, a, at a nonprofit doing a similar mission to the one that I'm doing now. Don't worry, I will talk about the Culture Project more later. Um, but I will never forget that some of my team were having such a hard time to like get started working. And I was like, what, what's the deal? Like, you got a desk, you got a chair, there's lights. Like, and they were like, the space is not, you know, these lights, these lights are like incandescent lights, but I need like the, like the, like the soft lights or the whatever, I don't even know. The lights were a problem, so they had to go out, they needed to buy lamps to have the right lighting. Then they needed some plants and they needed some art. And I remember being so like frustrated and actually irritated um, because I was like, you have the essentials. But um, I will not lie, I have learned so, so much from those people. So while I just need the functional stuff and I'll be okay, how much better is my workspace when it's sorted, when it's organized, when it's beautiful? And these people that were doing these things that seem so extra and like superfluous and just unimportant taught me such of an important lesson that actually that beauty matters, that beauty really matters. I think when it comes to beauty, and I think in our culture today, like the world we're actually living in, in Catholic circles like this and groups like this, I actually think that beauty, this truth speaker here is saying, I think beauty is the key. Like it is, it is what we need to lead with. Beauty is the starting point for this culture that we're living in today. Beauty is like indisputable, you know? I mean, we've gotten so like relativistic with truth and like, you know, moralistic truth and this and that and what, but beauty, you kind of can't dispute. 
Um, I think beauty is that starting point for evangelization. I think that beauty, it, um, it creates space. It creates room. If you walk into a beautiful church, like the one here, got to go to Mass 2 before this, so cool. Um, I'm still on cloud nine. It was really awesome. But anyway, you walk into a beautiful church, a beautiful building, and it like elevates you. It lifts your spirit, your soul. It inspires. Beauty creates space and room. And I think especially in a world and in a culture where people are so disillusioned and there's different versions of truth and this and that, and no one wants to be told what to do, Beauty is the key. I mean, look at this space. This is just, this is awesome. You guys know what to do here. This is great. There is um, an atmosphere and a space now for us to have time together and to have an encounter and maybe to share some truth. It's, uh, it's pretty awesome. So anyway, beauty, I think, leads the way and needs to lead the way more than ever today and the, in the world we in, are in today. It sets the tone, the pace, the space. So moving on to goodness. So goodness, now, oh, I've meant to make this caveat in the beginning. I'm not a theologian, okay? And this evening I'm going to, nor am I a philosopher, but I am sharing with you my thoughts, reflections, and opinions on these things. Okay, so little disclaimer there. Um, so I see, you know, that like beauty is the, the way and the, the key and the starting place. And then when it comes to goodness, um, the way I see goodness is goodness is like the, it's like the exemplification of like truth and beauty lived out. Goodness is like the tangible thing that you see. Um, goodness, it's like, you know, you think of like Mother Teresa and you're like, oh, she's good, you know? It's like the Christian witness in action um, is how I see goodness. I think um, because again of the world that we live in today and we are, a, you know, a church that is, is um, hurt, is broken, is aching, is trying to figure its way through some serious crises. Um, I think that in the world, we've sort of lost credibility on the goodness factor. Um, people are, just because you got a collar, just because you collar on, you're a priest, just because you have a habit on, just because you identify as a Christian, doesn't make you good or someone that's trustworthy or reliable. Um, I think goodness so while all of these are necessary, but I feel like goodness needs to be like re-earned again and like reclaimed in, in the world that we are today. I think it's hard to find models, like indisputable models or examples of true goodness anymore. Who are our heroes? Like, who do we look up to? We're living in such a divided country. Um, and then, you know, not politically obviously, but then there's also this religious climate and the scandals and lots, there's a lot going on. Um, so anyway, I think goodness is the one that needs to be kind of in a sense like most reclaimed. Um, and it's that, that beautiful Christian witness. Um, now truth, moving on to truth. I guess I see truth as like the reason. Truth is the why. Truth is the motivating factor. So in my little scheme of things, I see beauty as that entry point, something that lifts our spirit and our soul, can be found in nature and man-made beauty. Truth then is the, okay, once I have, I've, my soul and my spirit has been elevated, I have space, I have room, what do I do with it? 
I think truth then comes in and is the why, is the reason. Let us not forget also that truth is a person. Truth is Jesus Christ. He himself told us in scripture, this isn't Christina Barba, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So he has told us he is the truth. So truth is a person. You don't just, um, you can know a person, but to actually know a person, you need to have an encounter. And once you've met someone, once you know someone, once you've had an encounter with someone, you can't unknow them. You can't unencounter them. You can avoid them. But once you've met them and know them, you know them. Once you have heard, received, listened to the truth, you know it. You can't unhear it. Therefore, that makes the truth very scary. A lot more scary actually than the beauty and the goodness. The truth is really scary because the truth by its nature, when we encounter it and hear it and receive it, it changes us. It compels us to do something different. So no wonder in our world today, we're afraid. We're afraid of that. I uh, attended a lecture years ago do any of you know Alice von Hildebrand? She's a sweet older lady now. I think she's like 96. I believe she's still up and going. And she um, is, the late, is the wife of the late Diedrich von Hildebrand, a very famous theologian and philosopher. But she herself is like an incredible renowned writer, philosopher, teacher. Um, check out some of her books and writings in the future. But anyway, I remember I went to this conference or this like little gathering and I got to hear her present. And she talked, her whole presentation was about truth and fear and how we like fear the truth because once we encounter it, like it's like you have a fight or flight response. You know, it's like, oh, I have to battle with this myself to change or I, I wanna run away before I have to actually be changed. But again, once you've encountered it, you can't unsee it, you can't unhear it. Um, so anyway, I think truth is, yeah, it's something that we all are a little bit stressed out about and in our world today, we, we run from it. And that's why we, you know, don't wanna believe in like a universal truth. That's why it's like, oh, if you believe it, that works. That's why moral, moral, blah, 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 moral relativism uh, sounds appealing. It's like, if it's true to you, it's true. But like, the truth is the truth. But anyway, um, we don't want to admit that because then if we do, then we actually have to like live by that and maybe like live our lives differently and do things a little bit differently than we have been doing them and who really wants to do that. So anyway, that's how I feel about the truth. Um, and you know, in my own life, as I look back, um, really just blessed to grow up in a very like normal, now I realize like how awesome it was to grow up in like an incredibly normal, ordinary family home. Um, oldest of four children, mom and dad married. They still actually like, like each other uh, and enjoy each other, believe it or not. They fight like cats and dogs, but they also apologize and uh, forgive each other in front of us too. So that's all been seen. But anyway, they, um, you know, oldest of four, you know, raised in the faith, um, you know, Sunday mass, you know, rosary saying, not every day, but like, it's something we did as a family, prayed before, grace before meals. My parents formed us in the faith. So 
I, um, and I think I was, now that I look back at it and through this lens, was raised surrounded in the beauty of human love, the beauty of family. That created a space in my own heart and soul to receive the truth. So I was raised in the beauty of human love and family. And then my parents, who are totally ordinary human beings and are not these super holy rollers, flawed, imagine that, flawed individuals, but they're like good. They're like really good. And I had this also Christian witness of goodness that my parents exuded. And I think those two things, you know, gave me the, like that fertile ground to actually listen to, hear, and receive the truth. And think of um, two kind of pivotal truths that um, just changed the course of my life. Now, I mean, I was raised in this understanding of, of the person of Christ and a faith and a faith life. And so was blessed to have that and a sincere relationship with the Lord since I was a little girl. Um, so that's a given, like that's already here. So just to explain that. So after that huge thing, the other truths, the things that really hit me, um, when I first encountered the reality of abortion, wow. Um, you know, they say from, from the mouth of babes, right? You know, they just know the truth. It's a little girl. I, like I said, I'm the oldest of four. I remember when my mother was pregnant, particularly with my youngest sister, I, I remembered, you know, her belly growing, the, like my now sister, little sister, not so little sister, um, kicking, you know, and pressing. I felt her, her foot. I f saw, you know, sometimes you can see actually the baby's like foot against the, yeah. Like I had that experience. I knew that was a child. I knew. And when I realized what abortion was, I just, I, I, I just couldn't, like I, I couldn't understand how that was fathomable. Now, again, since growing up, you realize, okay, wow, there's a lot of situations and stress, and, but just those basic facts to learn what abortion was, I was, I was horrified to find out that truth. And um, the realization of that compelled me to do something. The truth was received and I couldn't be the same. I couldn't unhear that. I couldn't unlearn that. And um, then from a very young age, became one of those obnoxious, precocious kids that was like, I need to talk about this. So like I did like my fourth grade speech about abortion, throughout all of this, that, you know, grade school, high school, this, that, the other. I was the pro-life chastity girl for like ever. Guess I still am. But anyway, trying to ditch that title. We talk about sexual integrity now and human dignity, okay? <laughs> More grown up words, okay? But anyway, um, so yeah, so, but the truth, you know, with the right ground, like it was just a normal, natural response. Like something needs to be done. Like we need to do something. And actually through, this is just the social justice aspect to me of that issue. I was like, they can't defend themselves. This is so wrong. I, I got involved. I did things. I, I, I prayed outside of abortion facilities. I tried to help. I tried to, I just, I just poured myself into that. Um, and it wasn't until a bit later on, and you know, Sarah just gave a pitch for the Steubenville conferences. Well, my life was also touched again by truth deeply when I was 17 years old, attending one of those conferences. And um, so I, here I am, pro-life chastity girl, right? You know, it's what I've always been. And I'm like, yay, this is great. But I was totally like 
white knuckle chast chastitying it, you know, like these are the rules. We got to follow the rules. If I don't do this, I, you know, I have to do this because, you know, I want to make God happy and I'm a people pleaser and I want to, you know, please God and be a good girl and all that, but kind of miss the whole like gist behind it. Um, and actually, because um, at some point intellectually along the way, I realized, well, we have an abortion problem in our country and something needs to be done about this. But where do babies come from? It's like kind of obvious, but I was like, no one's talking about this part. <laughs> like uh, if we like maybe kind of had a different understanding of our sexuality, would we even be in this situation? Would we even have these problems? So intellectually, I was like, chastity, yeah, that's the solution. But it was still like real methodical, right? Um, and it wasn't until I went to this conference and the pro-life chastity girl met tens of thousands of, well, uh, thousands, just thousands, I think at that point, thousands of young people. It felt like a lot. They were like, and they were like fun, normal young people. And like some of the people I encountered there were talking about chastity, but like not the way... I felt about chastity. They were like happy about it and like kind of excited and joyful and their relationships were like vibrant and they were like alive and I knew they had something I didn't have. So I'll never forget, you know, the big, the big night is Saturday night adoration. Um, I remember praying and allowing, and I wasn't, you know, I was like following the rules here, but like the rules, right? That was my, motiv my motivation. Um, the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. And uh, I remember opening my heart. I feel like it was like a teeny crack, like this teeny crack to God. Like, okay, like, I guess you can be like a part of my dating life. And, you know, a little crack. And it was like busted open. And literally I have not been able to shut up ever since. There was this, yeah, I know. I haven't stopped talking about it. It's really annoying. But basically just this understanding um, about the goodness and the beauty of human love, the goodness and the beauty of human sexuality. Um, and, and, you know, there was a moment of that, but then it wasn't just like, oh, I understood it all. And then, you know, then I got excited and, um, and then, I, then I poured myself into like reading and learning and finding everything out. And then I was like, oh my gosh, the church's teachings on sexuality are actually like pretty awesome. And there's actually a lot out there. And it isn't just like there's this God up in heaven who's like this angry, hard to please father that is like come up with all these hard rules just to like, that I have to prove myself that I love him, you know? Um, or it's not like the Pope in Rome is this cranky old celibate man that's like, you got to do all of these things to be a good Catholic, Christina. But that actually the church's teachings on these things are like guidelines for my own well-being and happiness. It's like the rule book. It's like I found the rule book and it was, but it made sense, you know? Wow. So totally blew my mind that encounter with the truth of, of the beauty of human sexuality and God's plan for our human sexuality. Those two encounters, man, I mean, they sent me on a journey that I did not expect to, to be on. This is why I get why people are afraid of truth. Like totally changed my plans here. Like I was going to go to college. I picked my schools based on, um, believe it or not, I'm a math science person. I probably don't seem that way. But anyway, I actually am. And I have a, like a logical noggin up here that does get in the way sometimes. But anyway, I was like, I'm gonna, I loved math. I loved um, math. I loved calculus. I loved physics. All the things that like people don't like, I like loved and I got it. So 
I was so excited. I was going to go to college. I did my searches based, my college searches based on like engineering schools and the best programs. I was going to do this. I was going to have a great career. I was going to make all this money. I was going to be blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, you know, encounters with the truth set you on different paths. Uh, when I encountered these truths about the dignity of the human person, about our sexuality, and then the world we're living in today, like I was never the same. Like I couldn't be the same. And I was like, Someone shared with me, or I understand these things, and it makes sense, and my life has like meaning and, and purpose uh, in light of them. But I looked at the world around me, and it kind of seemed like no one else seemed to really understand. Uh, and that like all these people around me were like super upset and angry and frustrated, but like over misunderstandings actually of the truth. So um, funny enough, I went to, so throughout, I ended up going to Penn State um, to be an engineer. Um, so it was on that path for a while, but then like quickly got like really frustrated by injustice that I saw all around me. And then someone opened it, this total, anyway, an interesting person that I had encountered opened an abortion facility right off of campus. And I was like, not on my watch. Um, so then I was like, okay, I have to spend every single Saturday, every time it's open out there, you know, like letting the community know and protesting and then also like counseling the women. And then, so then I like got a band of people with me and blah, 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 blah. Long story short, I, you know, like my classes seemed like so unimportant compared to the important work that I was doing for this movement. And I, you know, I was normal. Like I like hung out with like my classmates and went to parties and stuff. And, you know, I knew what people were doing, not just on the weekends, but on the weeknights and all of the random hookups. And, but I didn't see any pregnant bellies. I also knew the effectiveness rate of condoms and the birth control pill and all of that because I'm a dork and I studied it all. But anyway, I, um, so I was like, huh, something doesn't add up here. And I was horrified that my classmates and my peers didn't know really the truth or have the options. So like, anyway, long story short, I ended up completely changing my major, completely being like, forget this lucrative career. I gotta do this. But first I was like, okay. And my, my friends and I, um, after four years of praying outside of that abortion facility and counseling women and everything, we actually got it closed down. So like, people can make a difference, okay? It's like, you know, one little feisty, obnoxious person that gathers other people that are feisty and obnoxious can actually make a difference. But um, when I was finished with that, I was like kind of tired and burnt out when I graduated from college. And I was like, oh, I'm sick of always being the like pro-life chastity girl. I'm sick of always being the one that has to share the hard truth with people. And I, I heard about this mission program. Um, let me check on the time here. I'm like blabbering on and on. Okay, good. So. I'm gonna wrap up kind of soon. So anyway, I heard about this mission program and I could live in Rome for a year, live in Rome. Um, classes were taught by like cardinals and bishops from the Vatican, all about the faith. And then we, we lived in community and then we went on mission around Europe and talked about Jesus in the church. I was like, sweet, sign me up. I need a break from being like the one that deals with the tough stuff. So anyway, I signed up, I, I got accepted. I go to this program. Meanwhile, I get there and I'm like so annoyed because all of my classmates are like normal people. Like I thought they'd all be like super holy. Yeah, they're just normal people. Worse, worse than that, I find out that actually these normal people like have to teach me something. Like I need to learn. Oh, that was really hard. Um, anyway, after that, when we went out on mission, so we, we actually um, went into different cities across Europe and we did 
street evangelization, door-to-door evangelization, literally invited people into churches with adoration to pray and offered to pray with them. And I was so excited to just talk about Jesus and the good news and the church and the joy. (sighs) Don't try to escape a calling, people. It doesn't happen, by the way. So I don't know if this is like everyone in Europe, but apparently every person for the whole year that I encountered in streets and in parishes and in their homes in all these different countries, that I, the people that I met were away from the church because of some misunderstanding of the church's teachings on marriage, family, life, sexuality. It like kept going back to that. And I just thought if they only knew, if they only knew the truth, like it's actually beautiful. It's actually life-giving. You know, it's actually beautiful. So anyway, that helped me to like, I was like, okay, I submit, Lord. I guess this is what you want me to do. And it's what I became passionate about. It's what like made me come alive and come on fire. So anyway, set me on this long course. And so for the last, you know, gosh, over a decade, I've been doing like full-time work for the new evangelization through essentially pro-life and chastity work and ministry, sharing the church's beautiful teachings on marriage, life, sexuality, and the hard issues of today, speaking truth into it. Now, I will say it's been an interesting ride and there've been a lot of pivots. Um, And and one came in a, um, how do I say this? Uh, In a not so fun way, in a brutal brutal slap in the face, uh, an organization I had been a part of for years, basically, Oh, I don't even know what I want to say about this. But anyway, long story short, some, uh, an organization that I had poured my heart and soul into um, you know, was no longer the place for me. And I kind of got booted out, didn't want, I got booted out and um, was like, what do I do now? And long story short, a bunch of my friends and like former colleagues all, all literally came to my family's home where I was licking my wounds. Like, what do I do with my life? I've done this for a decade. I don't know who I am. Um, yeah, yeah, that was a problem too, right? The identity issue, but got worked through. Um, thank God, thank God for suffering and pain that put us on those paths that we work through those things, false identities and labels. But anyway, um, we came together and realized that there was like a mission, a call that we did all feel that our world, so those, those, those things that I had felt before, like if we only knew, if the world only knew the truth about the inherent dignity of the human person, the beautiful plan for God's sexuality in our lives, that that was like a real need of our culture today. But here's the big thing, the kicker. It's like we were just worried about spouting out truth, but not checking to make sure that it was set up to be received. And that's again where I get into this lead with beauty, model that goodness, exude that goodness, then share the truth. So I feel like it's, um, you know, the big buzzword in ministry today is like encounter, encounter, encounter. And it's beautiful and it's, it's important. But I think that can be misunderstood too. Encounter doesn't just mean like, hey, I see you. This is awesome. We're gonna hang out and do all of the really unhealthy things that you do just to hang out because it's like, that's what makes sense. No, encounter is like you meet someone in the street that's like on the ground in the midst of mud. And what an encounter is instead of verse, instead of just speaking truth like obnoxiously, someone like that, like I have been guilty of before, is like looking from up above, like, hey, you down there, you have mud all over you. <laughs> Do you know how you have mud all over you? You should be out of the mud. 
Okay, great, thanks. But like encounter, and I think the unity of truth, goodness, beauty together is like you get down. Like, hey, how you doing? Are you okay? Wow, gosh, you know, you see where someone is, you meet them where they are, but you don't, like a good encounter isn't just like, okay, great, and then you leave them alone. Like, it's actually like, hey, need a hand up? I'll get you up. Oh gosh, those clothes are muddy. You want, need new clothes? Need a shower? So you give people in pieces the truth, but you don't just speak it from on high. So through this whole story uh, that I've been sharing of my life, this crazy weaving um, together of all of these experiences was the culture project was born. And I think it kind of takes this idea of truth, this truth that's really lacking in our world today that we don't want to admit, that we're afraid to speak or afraid to hear or to receive. It, it takes the truth, it reverences it, and it's like, okay, our mission is to share this truth with others, but how do we actually do it? <laughs> it's about creating this space, this beauty. It's about having authentic encounters and friendships and relationships. It's about being men and women of virtue. It's about going on mission, but starting with yourself. Like me first. What's the problem in the world today? It's me. You know, um, so I'm from Philadelphia. The Archbishop of Philadelphia is Archbishop Shaphew. Phenomenal. Love the man. He's amazing. Often, many eager, beaver, young adults, uh, myself in the past, going to him, Archbishop, what can I do? What can I do this to serve the church? How can I make an impact? How can I make my life meaningful and worthwhile? And he'd be like, well, like, start with yourself. Like, work on yourself. Become a man or a woman of virtue. So anyway, long story short, all of these things have, have led myself to this place with a group of friends, truly a group of friends, relationship, like real relationships, started this mission together. We've tried the ways of the world and have found it wanting we have listened to the lies, the lack of truth, all the lies that have been spoken. We all come from different backgrounds, different experiences, but we've said we've had enough of what the world is imposing on us and shoving down our throats. We want to live differently. And we choose to work starting on ourselves to the man or woman that God created us to be. We choose to live together in community, to pray together, to share meals together. And then from that place of fullness to go out and to invite others into the experience and life of virtue that we are, are living or striving to live. It has been such a, um, a profound experience. It's unbelievable to get to do what you love every single day, to be on mission. I, I think we're like truth speakers that lead with beauty and try to exemplify and exude goodness. Um, I think we like to model ourselves after, we consider our founder to be Pope John Paul II, who I consider to be like the truth speaker of like our lifetime. And I think he was so effective in truth speaking because this man lived in beauty. He sat in beauty. He immersed himself in beauty. He was out in nature whenever he could be. He surrounded himself by beautiful art, by theater. He was immersed in the beauty, so he had the space he exuded goodness. And then from that place, he had the credibility to speak the truth. He had the credibility to speak the truth. And he, um, 
I'm going to wrap up here so we can just have some Q&A time. But I'll never, um, I wasn't alive then, I'll say, I'll never forget. But um, one of uh, his powerful speeches that I've later like read and heard pieces of um, that really have profoundly affected me and I think is really the mission of the Culture Project. And by the way, the mission of the Culture Project is the mission of all of us. It's the church, the call of all the baptized. It's nothing really special. It's like just, you know, try to be the man or woman you're supposed to be and invite others to join you kind of it. And don't be afraid to speak the truth when it's necessary and you have the right opportunity. Um, but make sure you learn so you're speaking the truth correctly. Um, but anyway, one of um, my favorite speeches of his when he went to um, Poland for the first time right after he was elected Pope. And he was um, speaking to a people, his fellow, you know, his fellow people um, that were oppressed from years and years of occupation and you know, just being thrown around. And he spoke out into the crowd and he said, you are not who they say you are. Let me remind you who you are. And he goes on to remind us, you know, of our dignity, of our inherent dignity, value, and worth, you know? But in that, in that just those little words, those phrases, he like paused everybody. And I think... That's the essence of the mission of the Culture Project today. We speak to youth and young adults across the country. And we go into the classroom or to the youth group or whatever, and we just like, we share ourselves, our story, where we've been, where we're going. And we actually just stop for a moment and we say, you are not who the world says you are, who Planned Parenthood says you are, who Cosmopolitan says you are, whatever. You are not who the world says you are. Can we please remind you of who you are? And we speak truth into that, that each and every single person is unique and unrepeatable, that each of us was willed by God. Each of us was made out of love and for love. That the innate and, uh, and fundamental vocation of every human person is love. That everyone matters as in, and is here for a reason. And we have the privilege and honor to get to speak to tens of thousands of young people a year and remind them of who they are. It's amazing. Um, I have with um, tonight a, a, a bunch of culture project folks. Um, the, we have a team in Los Angeles and they drove down just for the night to be with us. LA team, you guys wanna get up? I'm gonna embarrass you. And Kayla too, another staffer, get up. Okay, so if you guys want to know more about the Culture Project and our work, like talk to them, talk to these people. Okay, you guys can sit down. Sorry for embarrassing you. I'm like a proud mama. Um, anyway, they're just, they're awesome. But if you wanna learn more about our work, our mission, how you can get involved, be a part of it, please, um, please stop one of them and just talk a little bit more about our, our work and what we do. Um, I do have one quick, that one video. Can I actually roll it or yeah, you know what I want. Okay, thank you. My name is Lindsay Fay. I'm from Huntington Beach, California, and this is gonna be my third year with The Culture Project. I was born in Ohio, moved out to Huntington Beach in second grade with my family. Um, really just had a desire, I think, from that early age to fit in and to be liked. 
towards the end of high school, what that meant was going out to parties and drinking and like the party culture. And then when I went off to college, I was kind of still looking to fit in, looking to find community. I think it was like my second weekend of college. I like rushed the sorority and joined. And I just remember like making a lot of mistakes and really quickly seeing kind of the emptiness of that lifestyle seeing the emptiness of the hookup culture. But I remember there was at one point in my sorority where I was in a meeting and I looked around the room at all these girls and I just remember thinking, I don't have one honest friend in this room. Like, I just feel like I don't know any of these people. Uh, and I feel like I'm not known myself. And this was kind of the time that I was really seeing just really the emptiness of what was around me on my college campus. And I was like, well, I need to change this. There was a girl that I met and she was living out chastity in her relationship and I just remember wanting what she had. And just seeing her and seeing her boyfriend and the way that they lived and the way that they loved each other and wanting that. And I remember really wanting to make that decision to choose better for myself, uh, to not being used, but to really, really being loved and being respected and valued. Um, and that led me out of that hookup culture on my campus and really into a community that really loved me and saw me for who I was. And that really led me in one way or another to a lot of healing through the theology of the body and learning about that and then uh, meeting the Culture Project missionaries and then seeing this community of people who really loved each other and really accepted each other and, and brought each other into this family. Um, and I think that was something that I was looking for all along. So that's Lindsay Fay. She's still part of the Culture Project. Um, just kind of an example of one of the beautiful young people that are part of this mission. Um, also wondering, do that other the other video, the the need one, not the JP two one. It's, that's too much. The yeah, I'm being demanding now. I was like, I want videos. I sent them. Then I was like, No, I don't want videos. Now I'm like, Yeah, I want videos. Yeah, sure. Okay. So. Um, there's just one more, okay, just talk. That's like, that's hard for me. Anyway, um, gosh, hard for you all to keep listening to me. But um, I did, I did want to wrap up the, like the truth, like the whole idea of the truth section to just say to each of you, please, like, don't be afraid of the truth. I know it's like scary because whenever we face it, like I said before, it's, it can't be unseen or unheard and it will compel you to some form of action, but it is like so worth it. And why would we want to live in fear? You know, fear only stands in the way of each of us being our full potential. So each, each and every one of us tonight, I guess, I'm speaking to myself too, I just want to challenge each of us to not be afraid of the truth, embracing it in our own lives and whatever is keeping us from being the man or woman that we were created to be. And also to not be afraid to share the truth with others around us. Obviously in love and in the right setting, but to not be afraid to share the truth and to invite other people into the truth with us. Um, Patrick, it's cool if we don't do, you got it? Okay, so um, yeah, this is a little bit of the why behind the culture project. Why truth is needed.
Today, more than ever, young people long to know there is more to the human story. In any given community, we don't have to look far to find young people suffering the effects of a deep underlying problem. They don't know who they are and what they're made for. The need is urgent. Having tried our culture and found it wanting, young men and women are beginning to stand against the throwaway culture that views the human person as dispensable. Today, young people are rising to uphold the dignity and potential of every human person, especially in regard to our sexuality. This is the mission of The Culture Project. The Culture Project envisions a world where the dignity of the human person is at the forefront of every relationship, law, and societal structure. We dream of a place where passion for fidelity glues husbands to wives, fathers to mothers, and parents to children. We dream of a culture that fosters total human flourishing in the context of strong relationships and strong families. We dream of a world where the beauty of our sexuality is upheld and love is not cheapened by ugly counterfeits. We aim for a culture where people are honest with their struggles, share stories to strengthen solidarity among their community, and reject isolation on our paths to greatness. We believe in the unfathomable greatness of humanity and its infinite potential. And so we have set out to follow the dream and to create a beautiful culture. Through conversation, friendship, and speaking to our peers around the world, we hope to restore a culture fully alive. I hope you enjoyed that talk from San Diego Theology on Tap. My name is Pamela Poe, and I'm the Associate Director for the Office of Young Adult Ministry here in San Diego. We would love to see you at our future diocesan young adult events. If you are new to the area, looking to get connected and grow deeper in your faith, we would love to connect you to a young adult group here in San Diego. You can reach out to us via our website, yamsd.org, Instagram at Yam San Diego or Facebook. Thanks again for listening. God bless you, and I hope to see you soon.